Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again, presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation that's been dedicated to social change for over 20 years. I'm Jennifer Burrell, and I'm your host today. Jacques couldn't be here for this program, but I have Kate Weller, in the studio with me. She's generously agreed to share a bit of her experience of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, or the NDIS. So good morning, Kate. Morning, Jennifer. The next edition of New Community will be about the NDIS, with contributions for people and organisations who have been affected. As listeners would know, New Community is produced in partnership with Borderlands Cooperative, and edited by Jacques Billet. In his editorial, Jacques tells us a bit about the history and development of the NDIS, which I'll say a few words about now. But first of all, um, in case you missed the introduction with some laps in panelling, I'll just say again, welcome to Think Again. It's presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative. I'm Jennifer Burrell. Jacques's not here today, but I have Kate Weller in the studio with me, and she's very kindly agreed to share a bit of it experience of the National Disability Insurance Scheme or the NDIS with us. So good morning again, Kate. Good morning. <laughs> so <clears throat> a, preliminary, a preliminary pilot of the NDIS ran in 2006 and 2007. Some of the views of the consultants group, which included people with a disability, carers and state disability workers, um, carry the early fingerprint of neoliberalism with a focus on individualism rather than community development, for example. So that was a very preliminary pilot in 2006-2007. It also um, um, views from that um, consultants group also carried the language of the managerialist approach, which we've talked about in the past. So that's to do with top-down planning, command and control. Then, um, as a lot of people would remember, in 2009-2010, the NDIS started and it was delegated to the Productivity Commission, strangely um, by a lot of accounts. Um, the first NDIS pilot was in South Australia in 2013. This is what a visiting UK expert, Simon Duffy, said about it in 2013. He said, The model is hypercentralised and risks eroding the responsibilities of states, communities, services and families. He said, The current model is designed in a way which will create a significant inflationary pressure and will damage social capital at every level. So this was in 2013 said about the pilot. The proposed design involved an unnecessarily expensive and centralised bureaucratic 
infrastructure. <laughs> so we were to- we were warned five years ago. Sadly, it seems that all of this and more has come to pass with the rolling out of the NDIS. The hallmark of neoliberalism is that human beings are characterised by their role in the economy as individual purchasers, sellers and producers. So we are all like economic units. I would argue that blind faith in this ideology is the road to personal, social and environmental tragedy. But don't get me started on that track. Let's hear a bit from Kate today and her experiences on the NDIS. So... So welcome again, Kate. Thank you. First of all, can you tell me a bit about um, your situation, your children and their disability and what type of support they want and need? Yeah. Um, So I remember when I first had my first daughter, I've had three daughters, Sophie, Charlotte and Phoebe. Charlotte and Phoebe are twins. When we had our first daughter, Sophie, um, I remember getting a story from someone when we we realised that she had a disability and something was wrong and it was like you booked a ticket to go to France, but you ended up in Amsterdam. Mm. <laughs> and it's yeah. kind of like you, you're suddenly mm. on this unexpected journey mm. when you have a child with a disability. Um, and so life takes you <laughs> into this completely different world. Um, our daughter Sophie um, was uh, quite young when she was first diagnosed as having a condition um, which they called cerebral palsy at the, t- the time. They knew it was a genetic um, condition, a neurological condition, but they didn't really know what, what it was. Um, and Sophie was four years old when we um, had our twins, Charlotte and Phoebe. Um, and unfortunately, Charlotte and Phoebe were born with the same rare genetic condition. So we had three girls with um, with a disability. Oh. So it was quite a um, quite an overwhelming <laughs> situation yeah, I, to find ourselves yeah. in. Um, and um, Sophie was more affected than um, Charlotte and Phoebe and she was um, she actually passed away unexpectedly when she was six mm. years old. Yeah. Um, Charlotte and Phoebe's, her sisters were just two at the time. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so um, yeah, so sorry to hear that. Yes, okay. thank you. Mm. Um, but Charlotte and Phoebe are 15 years old now, so they've... Um, They've grown and matured. They're both happy social girls and they attend a wonderful specialist school in Glen Waverley. Plug for Glen, Wa- uh, Glen Allen <laughs> School. It's a, it's a wonderful school. Um, so the girls are both, um, you know, classified as severely disabled and they require assistance with um, all aspects of daily living. Um, and late last year we actually received something very unexpected. We, we got a diagnosis of this rare genetic condition. Um, and the girls have a disease called intermediate salad disease. <coughs> I've was, never heard of that. No. <laughs> um, it's a type of leukodystrophy, which is a myelin disorder. Um, and myelin is a nerve sheath that transmits messages around the body. And in conditions like MS, the body destroys the myelin, so the mm. messages get mixed. Mm. So the, the girls have a problem with transmission of messages from okay. their brain to their body. Yeah, so obviously obviously, would have a profound effect on everything. Yeah, it mm. does. Um, and we're the first diagnosed case in Australia, So there, and there are less than 200 in the world. So it's kind of, you know, getting a diagnosis was good, mm-hmm. but at the same time kind of quite scary because there are so few and so little known about the condition. Yes, yeah, so yeah, I, um, 
getting the diagnosis, would that have changed to the sort of support they needed or would that be the same? Um, it's kind of interesting because the, um, the bureaucrats are very interested to know if we had a different label and what that different label meant. So oh. it was almost a bit of a worry because we're thinking we've called the condition cerebral palsy because that's a good catch-all mm. to, um, to class a disability. But as soon as you get a, a different name, um, the bureaucrats want to know all about it and mm. you suddenly feel a bit at risk of what it's going to mean for funding. Oh, okay, so that goes, I suppose, back to the point about it being very bureaucratic and yes. I'm sure we'll hear more about that. Yeah. So up until the NDIS, um, what type and level of support were your children getting and yeah. were you happy with that? Um, I think um, and uh, initially we had um, just local support services from council through respite and that was state funded. Mm-hmm. Um, we then progressed to an individual support package which was funded by DHS um, and we then moved on to the NDIS um, and that has um, been an increase of like we're getting four times more support than we mm, did under okay. the old scheme. Well, that's good to that's a, um, a good part of the story. Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, I suppose um, I'd like to ask, in general, um, what has been your experience of the NDIS so far? Mm. In general, um, I think it's been you know, overwhelmingly positive to get four times more support than we had previously. It makes a huge difference. And and having twins um, who have very high needs and are both in wheelchairs means it's very difficult to um, support them in every level of care, Mm. um, particularly if you're on your own. Um, So we were offered early transition to the NDIS, partly because of my family's situation, I suppose, the high needs. Um, And so we transitioned to NDIS two years before it was due to roll out in our area. And initially we were really hesitant about that. But in hindsight, I'm glad we did because Mm. it seems, and this is unfortunate for other people, but it seems that by early going to early transition we got a big a bigger package than we would have if we'd waited until it was rolled out in our area when they were starting to to be tighten their budget starting yes. to tighten the budget so Absolutely. so it was almost like um happenstance that you got um planning and happenstance that you got you get a better deal if you get in early <laughs> if you got in early and you know that feels horrible because you think about other families who have got mm you know, the same kinds of needs as, as ours does, but they just happen to be later roll out. Mm. Okay, thank you, Kate. Um, on that note, we'll go to Get Fooled by Mojo Juju and we'll come back to Kate in a few minutes. All they do is talk, talk, talk on the
In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3CR.org. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. I'm Jennifer Burrell and today I'm talking with Kate Weller about her experience of the NDIS. So Kate, uh, you said you've experienced also, um, when I was speaking to you earlier, a range of problems with the NDIS, uh, in addition to very long waits for essential equipment. So can you tell me a bit about that and what are some of the other issues that you've encountered? Yeah, um, I guess could I just say first up, um, it really horrified me that the federal government um, 2019 budget um, was propped up by NDIS dividends, mm. which was essentially dividends delivered to government that came at a cost to individuals and families who weren't receiving the funding or the equipment that they've been waiting for. Yeah, it's terrible. <clears throat> it must be terrible for the families that are missing out to hear that there was money sitting there that's not being used yeah. while they're waiting a long time for wheelchairs and things yeah. like that. And essentially we know it's because there's just there's a pile of applications for equipment sitting on someone's desk that just aren't being looked at because they don't have the man uh, the person power mm. to um, to get through the paperwork that's there. So for for us, um, we've been waiting uh, close to 18 months now for a new wheelchair for Charlotte and wow. she's needed repairs to her wheelchair three times just in the last few months. So, you know, her chair's really worn out and it's got buckled wheels and, you know, it, it's it's a problem. But we've been waiting so long, essentially because paperwork sat on someone's desk because wow. there aren't the staff to process the paperwork. And, um, you know, it was approved... It's obviously it would be very. It's really it's essential to your mobility. Oh, absolutely. So I can't think of many things that are so besides food and water that would be more <laughs> so essential, essential than yes. being able to move around, let alone have any quality of life. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And for us, um, we've been waiting two years for modifications to our home, which include having a ramp out the front so we can get the wheelchairs up from the front step up to into the house and. Um, to help us with hoisting so we can it will help us lift the girls out of their chairs onto the beds you know into mm. bath etc so for us um, you know that that's been a real issue because we're doing lots of manual lifting every day and the girls are 15 you mm. know they're wow. like 50 kilos so we're doing a lot of lifting every day because we're waiting for home mods mm. <laughs> so waiting two years um, and you're still waiting still waiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and I think what's what's kind of really frustrating about the system is that um, the NDIS wants new quotes every three months from suppliers, so so that the quotes are current and up to date. But you know, the, to me, that just adds a layer of bureaucracy. Of you know, every three months you've got to get the supplier to produce a new quote and send it back to the NDIS. Do you mean while you're on the waiting list? While you're list? on the waiting list. So, so the longer the waiting list is, the more, the more work you have to yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so that's 
waiting is part of the problem, but there have been other um, other problems that we've experienced. And I guess one of the first things that um, that we found really difficult was that the first planning meeting that we were offered by the NDIS, so when we did early transition, um, was going to be a phone appointment. And for us, um, we just thought that was crazy. I mean, how do you do a, a holistic assessment of two twin girls over the phone when you're not meeting people face-to-face? and to get a face-to-face appointment, we had to have it escalated. So the assessments were done over the phone without people actually meeting yes. their daughters. Yeah, but we we had to argue against it, and mm-hmm. we um, we successfully fought mm-hmm. to get a face-to-face interview. Mm-hmm. But you know that just seemed crazy to <laughs> us. Um, another early problem was that we were sent another person's plan in an email, what? which is you know breach of privacy, mm-hmm. <laughs> major issue to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had um, plans that are due due to expire. We haven't heard anything from the NDIS. We've rang to inquire about what's going on and to hear that our plans have dropped off the system. They've suddenly disappeared, so there's no nothing that comes up in their system to trigger a new plan being created, which just seems crazy as well. So, and that's also requires a lot of proactive work for you to agitate to fill those gaps in processing and absolutely because suddenly if you don't have a plan a current plan yes. s- services will stop overnight they will stop because services won't get paid mm-hmm. so um yeah that can be a real problem and it's just lucky that we've yeah we have been proactive so it's not only that it's very bureaucratic it's actually it's not very good bu- bureaucracy <laughs> no it's really clunky it's incredibly um, and, clunky um, with a lot of gaps yes Absolutely. And we understand that staff turnover is incredibly high and that staff seem to have unsustainable workloads. And um, it just, you know, we get promised that something will happen that afternoon by a planner Mm -hmm. and six weeks later it hasn't happened. And, you know, you're just kind of left a bit confounded, but we only can see that it's just that they've got so much work um, that... You know, things just can't get done. Mm, yeah. So I do feel sorry for those staff. Um, we've also, um, you know, we've heard about as the pro as the program has been rolling out, people's packages have been getting smaller and smaller. And uh, you know, we've heard that planners are told you can't put in money for support coordination or you can't put in money for continents, even though people need it. And that's because. Just and it's been provided in the past. It's been provided in the past. in the past. So it's the allotted money is getting yeah. smaller. Yeah. Yet we were um, had money that was in surplus, unused. That yes. Into balancing the budget. It's, yeah. It's um. It's I just crazy. That, I suppose the obvious solution would be to use some of that money to employ more people. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the, I suppose the um, turnover must be difficult too because a lot of. Um, what you're doing is forming relationships with workers. They're getting yeah. an understanding of you and your family. You don't have to explain things again. Yeah. And, of course, then you would need to have new staff understand your situation and fill them in. And, um, yeah, so uh, I'm just sort of noticing a little bit that affects relationships also in the process of the service provision. And yeah, family. absolutely. Um, and it it's just seems that you can never speak to the same person twice. Um yeah, there's there's a lack of consistency certainly. So 
So, Kate, um, you're obviously um, very savvy and articulate um, and you've been a great advocate for your children, but um, I wanted, I'm really wondering how people who aren't, don't have your confidence and aren't as articulate with you and, and have the confidence to really represent your children, I wonder how they would fare, um, whether they're people with disabilities mm. themselves or carers. So yeah. can you shed any light on that? Or um, I just think it would be incredibly hard and um, I am a welfare worker by trade and my um, ideological positioning underpinning this is that there should be equality and social justice um, and so I think that a program like the NDIS is really important to ensure that we have a society that supports everyone but unfortunately if you don't have um, you know the right level of support or you don't have the capacity to advocate for the level of support people are falling falling um, by the wayside so um, and I, I think I found even for myself um, there's a level of vulnerability that creeps into your life when you know you've got strong emotional involvement to to your children mm. and experience and so um, you know you can lose your confidence and you can and mm. you can find you know that you feel really disappointed and um, and really struggling with the system. So I don't know how people who don't have you know supports or to navigate the system can really struggle. Yeah, um, and I'm also wondering, um, have you in general have you noticed changes in the disability sector in general? Yeah. As a, a result of NDIS, uh, what effects has the NDI NDIS had on the service sector in general? Um, I understand it's like the biggest growth er area of employment um, in Australia now. Yeah, is that a good thing? <laughs> I think it would be if we knew that we had trusted organisations who were delivering good service. And I think for us, what we've seen is that um, long, long-standing, um, reputable disability support services have gone out of business because they can't compete against the newer competitive for profit services and you know and that leaves you as a consumer kind of worried about who you're going to be purchasing service from and mm. and whether they're going to provide a professional service and whether mm. they've got good staff so you know there's certainly an impact of you know competitiveness and undercutting in mm. costs that will affect service delivery yeah and i, I suppose um in a model a purchase a model where you're given money and then you're told you have choice you can spend it wherever you like but it's sort of <laughs> you're laughing yes. but it's sort of difficult if the organization that you want to spend the money on doesn't Gosh. exist anymore yeah, or exactly. the program so have you experienced that yeah we had one organization that we used to use for carers for respite for holiday programs and it's gone and it you know wow. it was a service that we'd used for 12 years for 12 years yeah. And it had been around for a lot longer than that. So that was really disappointing for us. So your and your children would have had relationships with the staff there or yeah. the staff would have understood your children and yeah. and um so where did the staff did the did the staff um are they available through the NDIS anywhere else or um or the programs aren't? Yeah. We haven't been able to find any kind of the, of the same holiday programs mm. um at all. Uh but I guess it's just that kind of fear, too, of looking for someone, a service that you don't know, that you yeah. don't have that relationship with or that trust in. I did hear of someone um, in the security sector who was saying that they're getting a lot of 
people who want to come and talk to them at their community service meetings to spruik their business and and they said that was a problem and I said but that's a good thing isn't it they said no they're people who have no previous experience or interest in working in the disability sector but mm. they've got a car so they they want to let you know that they'll drive around people with disabilities oh so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's a worry i think for us um you know we see that the ndis has capacity to be really transformative mm-hmm. for australians and to have the capacity to really ensure that people get the services and support they need but we see that there are a whole lot of issues that you know I mean, essentially, we hope it's not going to take a royal commission to sort oh, out. Oh, please the don't even don't are. give them the idea. Please. <laughs> um, so, Kate, um, it sounds like you're saying you don't have a problem with the scheme in general, but it's to do with um, the resourcing or yeah. um, the operations of it. But yeah. you think you don't have a problem with it in general. So, what would you actually like to see happen for it all to work out for everyone? Yeah, I think. I would like to see that people have the packages that they need mm. rather than the packages that we can afford because mm. that's not the to me that's not the purpose of the system the system is about providing everything that an individual requires and when you hear that packages are getting smaller and smaller towards the end of rollout that's not addressing people's yeah. individual needs and especially if people are um having to do without basic things like Wheelchair, continence products and wheelchairs, it really seems to undermine any um, idealism around the system in general because they're quite basic things that you'd expect under any system, whether it's NDIS or the old system of, you know, funding organisations to build up programs and have relationships with families that they're supporting and um, people with disabilities that they're supporting. So is there anything you'd like to add before we... Um, finish? Um, Look, I think we are incredibly grateful for the system um, and it it, it has made a big difference in our lives. You know, as I said, we've got four times more support than we had previously and and when you have twins, that's huge. Um, But I think there's so much that needs to be ironed out in terms of equality in packages and staff, staffing and um, taking away those kinds of... um, caps on staffing levels and funding Mm. well thanks so much for generously sharing your experiences Kate I know we're going to be talking a lot more about the NDIS um, but I also know that you've really shared this in the hope that it will help other people and help improve the system so I really appreciate you coming in and sharing all your views and experiences Kate I'm sure there's a lot more that you didn't get to say but there may be another chance (laughs) yeah Um, Anyway, definitely we have to keep having these conversations and agitating for change and improvement. Uh, One thing I would like to spruik today uh, on another note is the Federal Senate inquiry into the adequacy of New Start and related payments. So the Federal Senate is having an inquiry into New Start. Um, Meanwhile, I see on the front of the uh, age today that... um, a contentious plan to drug test welfare recipients will be revived by the Morrison government. The two-year trial would test 5,000 new recipients of New Start and the youth allowance for illicit substances. So my heart 
sinks when mm. I see this sort of thing. We, we know that New Start and Youth Allowance doesn't cover the basic cost of living for housing, food, and that people are dependent on charities just to keep alive and have enough food, and that is not an exaggeration. So to see that, I just really, um, given the quality of the decision-making at a federal level, I'd really like to see our federal politicians drug test on a regular basis because I want to know what they're on and, and tell them to get off it really fast. <laughs> so um, the submissions close to that inquiry, 13th of September. Um, if, you're tr- if you're trying to live on Centrelink payments, let the inquiry know about your experience. Um, you can go to www.aph.gov.au. If you don't have access to the internet, go to your local library. The librarian will help you and a lot of neighbourhood houses um, do as well. So just say you want to do a submission for the Senate inquiry into New Start. So thanks again for listening to, uh, to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio with myself, Jennifer Burrell, and our guest today, Kate Weller. Remember, if you want to send us a message or ask about anything from today's program, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Just put Think Again in the subject line. You can also mail us if you want a copy of the next new community, which focuses on the NDIS. It has made a big difference in our lives. You know, as I said, we've got four times more support than we had previously. And and when you have twins, that's huge. Um, But I think there's so much that needs to be ironed out in terms of equality in packages and staff staffing and um, taking away those kinds of um, caps on staffing levels and funding. Mm. Well... Thanks so much for generously sharing your experiences, Kate. I know we're going to be talking a lot more about the NDIS, um, but I also know that you've really shared this in the hope that it will help other people and help improve the system. So I really appreciate you coming in and sharing all your views and experiences, Kate. I'm sure there's a lot more that you didn't get to say, but there may be another chance. (laughs) Um, Anyway, definitely we have to keep having these conversations and agitating for change and improvement.